Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hello and welcome to New Scientist Weekly, coming to you this week from Jezero Crater on Mars. Ah, so that's where you've gone to during lockdown. <laughs> no, actually, uh, to, it will surprise you, but I'm not actually on Mars uh, today. But today we are bringing you audio from Jezero Crater on Mars, the first audio from another planet. Uh, I'm Rowan Hooper. I'm our podcast editor. And I'm Tiffany O'Callaghan. I'm our features editor. And joining us today is my co-features editor, Kat Delange. Hi, Kat. Hi, very happy to be here. Coming up this week, we hear about why whales don't get cancer. We get an update on the latest that's going on with COVID. And we hear about some commonly believed things about diet and metabolism that are in fact totally bogus. And we also have that report from the Perseverance rover on Jezero Crater on Mars. And we've got a really intriguing story about communicating with people while they're asleep. Before that, though, a couple of notices. If you haven't heard our stunning new podcast, do check it out. It's called New Scientist Escape Pod, and it's a wonderful distraction from everyday life. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also get the ultimate escapism in a subscription to New Scientist with our bargain offer of 20% off. So go to newscientist.com pod20 to subscribe and get your discount. Now, let's start today with a few words from a familiar voice. Climate change is a threat to global security that can only be dealt with by unparalleled levels of global cooperation. It will compel us to question our economic models and where we place value. That, of course, was David Attenborough. In that clip, he was addressing the UN Security Council about the dangers of climate change. We picked out that clip where he talks about economic models and where we place value, because in the magazine this week, we're all about spending billions of dollars to save the planet. Right, Rowan? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, I might have mentioned a couple of times on the podcast that I have a new book out. It's called How to Spend a Trillion Dollars. (laughs) Uh, And it's a manifesto that 
it basically sets out 10 mega projects and 10 things that you could do with a trillion dollars. And this actually is not as sort of off the wall an idea as it seems. So, you know, in the US, President Biden is actually pushing a 1.9 trillion coronavirus stimulus package through Congress and has a $2 trillion green climate infrastructure plan waiting to roll out. And one way he's thinking to fund all of this is through a carbon tax. Yeah, and the UK government is also looking at carbon tax. So that's when goods and services that are carbon costly, like uh, you know, eating beef and flying, uh, get a carbon tax on them. And that helps raise money to spend on environmental protection, but also drives the adoption of lower carbon alternatives like plant-based meat, pretend meat, uh, and not flying. Uh, and I talk about some of these things in the book. Yeah. And for a long time, economists have suggested that basically a carbon tax is the only really workable way to raise enough money to fix these huge problems that the world faces. So is that where you're planning to get your trillion dollars from? Uh, Unfortunately, I don't reveal how to get a trillion dollars. I'm going to dodge the question of raising (laughs) the money. Um, But I'm just pointing out that there is a lot of money out there. As you, you know, as you've said, the Biden plans, that's four trillion dollars right there. Uh, So, yeah, the book looks at 10 things we could do with that sort of money. And in the mag this week, we talk about three of them. So that's giving away all of the money. Uh, trying to cure all disease in the world and about carbon drawdown and geoengineering. So go to the magazine to read all about those ideas, but shall we talk about a different one here? Yeah, okay. Well, so we had David Attenborough on, so let's talk about saving life on Earth. Um, And that means ecosystem restoration and protection, a huge rollout, a plan to save ecosystems around the world. And I used published analyses of conservation costs, and basically found that you could save all endangered species on Earth for $76 billion a year. All endangered species on Earth? Yep, that's what they say. If you can get everything off the red list that's on the red list, all birds and mammals and even plants, uh, all endangered species can be made unendangered for $76 billion a year. And, you know, so that's worth doing, not just because that, you know, those organisms have the right not to be destroyed by us. Uh, and it's nice to have them. But as we've been talking about over the years, you know, if you let ecosystems get destroyed, we undermine our own existence. We're chopping off the branch we sit on by doing that. But one major problem has been that if we say, you know, fence off a load of forests so the animals are protected, then that potentially harms people's livelihoods, people who depend on the forest um, for their day-to-day living or, or livelihoods. Yeah, and that is a problem that's often not properly addressed. Um, and so, like, for example, this week, uh, I saw a big uh, rehabilitation program in Borneo, in Indonesian Borneo, where 10 captive orangutans have been returned to the wild. Uh, you know, they had to be helicoptered out and boated through the forest. You know, it's a huge operation, but the horrible truth is that a lot of orangutans are being killed by humans directly as they come into competition with them. So, you know, deforestation is a massive problem, but so is direct conflict with humans. So any solution for orangutans, but also for any kind of um, conservation, it has to account for humans and, and helping humans live sympathetically with the endangered animals or species. So I, I've added some more money uh, to account for that. One more thing. I've heard you mention a link with Elon Musk in all of this. So what's that about? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so I sent 
Elon Musk a copy of the book last year and he said he'd read it um and I was hoping he might give me a blurb for the front of the book basically but I didn't hear anything back from him and then last month he announced a 100 million dollar prize for carbon capture and storage uh, for a competition and the funny thing is that in chapter 7 of the book I propose that exactly a 100 million dollar prize for carbon capture and storage so so you're saying you basically convinced Elon Musk to to blow $100 million. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, as soon as he published that, announced that competition, I got in touch with him again and said, oh, I hope you were influenced by this. And, and he didn't he didn't respond. But, uh, you know, I like to think so. <laughs> I, I've just spent $100 million of his money. Yeah, that would be incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So How to Spend a Trillion Dollars by Rowan Hooper is out now. If you want to read more about some of these incredible ways to save the planet with lots of money. And it's available at the New Scientist shop and we'll put a link in the show notes. That's our sci-fi alert, which means there's something in the news that's already been in science fiction. I don't know if either of you two have ever had lucid dreams. It's quite rare, but uh, there's some fantastic research that's out this week. So, you know, in lucid dreams, it's about controlling. It's when you become aware of your dream inside the dream and you can start to control your actions. And researchers have now taken advantage of this by teaching Morse code to people and having them go to sleep and then signal to the outside world by moving their eyes in Morse code. That's amazing. Wow. So, So when you're in REM sleep, the researchers can tell what, that that's happened because you're wearing like um you know the electrodes on your head and they can measure when you're in REM sleep and they send a message to you by playing a tone and then you can acknowledge that you've received the message with your eyes by moving your eyes um and there's a simpler way to do it just say like move your eyes to the left for yes and to the right for no and now they've taken this further by asking questions to people whilst they're in a lucid state and having them reply in their sleep by moving their eyes. Um, <laughs> I actually tried this in a dream lab in Swansea in Wales. Oh, wow. How'd that go? Um, well, so the idea is, like like in that, the one I've just mentioned, they play a tone to you when you're in REM sleep. And if you can manage to go lucid and signal, um, then, then, you know, they can do another experiment. But I couldn't manage it. It was, like, really weird. It was like, you know, being in treacle. I, could, I just couldn't get control of my eyes. But I did have some really weird, like hypnagogic moments of that in that moment as you go from sleep to wake. It's called the hypnagogic state. And that was really interesting. So what's the sci-fi link to all this? The movie Inception, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very predictable. Uh, it is. It's Inception. <laughs> it's uh, that is when you Inception is the is when you plant ideas into someone's mind while they're dreaming. Uh, and obviously that's not quite there yet. Uh, but that's the sci-fi link this week. out time to tell you about our range of live online events that are really helping during this lockdown they're all there at newscientist.com events and the hot tickets at the moment are a trio of events on health and a quantum computing event on march 11th with michelle simmons and john martinez these are a world-class pair of experts yeah michelle simmons is leading the global race to develop a quantum computer in silicon and as we know quantum computers will provide an exponential speed up in computing power for a range of key problems. And she's director of the Centre of Excellence for Quantum Computer Technology and Communication Technology at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. 
uh, and John Martinis in 2019, his team at Google uh, achieved the long-sought goal of quantum supremacy, uh, demonstrating they'd built a quantum computer that could solve a problem that could not be realistically solved by a traditional computer. This will be an unmissable lecture. Go to newscientist.com slash events to find out about how to sign up to these and all of our other live online events. And Kat, you've got a new newsletter to tell us about. Yeah, so um, nobody prepares you for how to be a parent in the pandemic. And I don't know about you guys, but I found it an incredibly difficult time. Um, Hellish. So I'm launching... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm launching this uh, evidence-based fortnightly newsletter. So it'll be looking at what science can say to help us through this and help our kids through this. We'll be hearing from lots of experts, looking at lots of research. And the first one is going to be all about sleep. So you can sign up to that at newscientist.com slash newsletter. Now, this week saw the landing on Mars of the latest NASA rover, the biggest and best yet. I watched it. Did either of you get to watch the landing? Yeah, I did. I was I was blown away by it. It was amazing. Yeah, it was sensational. We've got a report from our U.S. space correspondents, Leah Crane and Chelsea White, about the landing and the mission. Thanks, Stephen Rowan. The Perseverance rover was equipped with five cameras to take video footage of the spacecraft while it was lowering to the surface. And the footage is absolutely mind-boggling. Chelsea, we were texting each other the whole time we were watching it. But for the sake of the listeners, what were you feeling watching that video? Mostly, I was just impatient to see it. After watching the live stream from Mission Control during the actual landing, I couldn't wait to see what happened to the rover with my own eyes. And I wasn't disappointed. (laughs) It was incredible to see such great quality video of the surface of Mars getting closer and closer as the rover touched down. And then my favorite part, the sky crane lifting away like something straight out of a sci-fi movie. I had chills. How about you? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. We've never had video like that before. And it was like being right there with the rover for me. And it really kind of felt like a reminder that humanity can accomplish just incredibly cool things. So let's walk through a few of the coolest things about the landing, although there are a lot of them. So the whole thing starts with the unfurling of the parachute, which is fired out of a cannon to start the process of slowing down the spacecraft. Usually those parachutes are mostly just white, but this one had a big red pattern on it, which made the video way more striking. Yeah, that's right. The parachute really kind of blew me away. It was launched out of the spacecraft going 160 kilometers per hour. It traveled the 45 meters to the end of its line in under a second. And there wasn't a single tangle in the nearly 3.2 kilometers of lines. And then at this point, the spacecraft is going 1.75 times the speed of sound. So it's just incredible that it all worked. And aside from the pattern looking cool, it also helps the researchers tell which way the spacecraft is oriented. Plus, I hear it had a secret message. Yeah, the folks at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab love putting coded messages in things. So the chunks of color on the parachute correspond to a numerical code with the coordinates of the Jet Propulsion Lab, where the Perseverance mission control is and most of the mission is based, and also the quote, dare mighty things. (laughs) Really cool. Speaking of mighty things, or should I say mind-blowing, my very favorite shot of the landing came from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, another spacecraft that's been in orbit around Mars since 2006. 
And this one is a really grainy photo, so it's not as visually arresting as the video from the rover. But the fact that it exists at all is just amazing to me. The team at NASA somehow figured out how to align the rover landing with the orbiter passing by so they could get this shot of the parachute opening up. Yeah, it was really incredible. And MRO has actually taken a lot of really cool pictures of the spacecraft that are on Mars's surface. And that's one way we know where all the other bits of the spacecraft land when they're jettisoned from the actual rover. In every landing, we end up dumping a bunch of basically trash on the surface of Mars, like the parachute (laughs) and the heat shield, after it served its purpose. So, for example, with this landing, after the rover touched down on the surface, and that's the part we really care about, the sky crane that was used to lower it just flew off and then smashed to the ground, which is a shame because the sky crane is my very favorite part, and the pictures of it that Perseverance have set back so far are absolutely jaw-dropping. Yeah, that upward-facing camera from the rover that gave us the view of the sky crane was really cool. And part of the reason the pictures are so weird and otherworldly from that view is that the thrusters on the edges of the sky crane, they don't look like they're doing anything. And that's because the rocket fuel they use doesn't combust, so there's no visual vapor. So that means in the video and in the images, it looks a bit like it's just hovering in the Martian sky. And then to release from the rover, the sky crane cables had to be cut. So once Perseverance was on the ground, it used these little charges to basically shoot blades at the cables connected to the sky crane so that it could then fly away from the area and smash up without harming the rover. I love the fact that the rover has a knife gun. (laughs) Yeah, I wish we could have seen the knife gun close up in action. Absolutely. Uh, The other thing I didn't get that, that I was really hoping for was audio recording from the landing itself. It would have been so cool to have that mm-hmm. video also have audio. But even though the microphones didn't work during the descent, once Perseverance was on the ground, we did get a recording of the Martian breeze blowing over the rover, which I actually found really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's really great that we can get an audio recording from another world, but I was supremely underwhelmed by it. (laughs) I mean, it sounded like I put my phone in an empty parking lot with a very little bit of wind blowing over it. (laughs) I mean, fair. The recording did sound a little bit like nothing. But it was the coolest bit of nothing I've heard in ages, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a recording of the wind on Mars, and it sounded just like Earth. Come on, that's awesome. And the whole thing is absolutely amazing. And I'm so excited to see what Perseverance gives us next when it starts roving around. Yeah. And before we give it back to the team in London, do you want to hear something really cool? Always. So the Perseverance mission is just this wild endeavor and it costs $2.8 billion. But the computer processor that's on board the rover... It's just, it's more than 20 years old, and it's the same processor that powered those colorful old iMacs from the late 1990s. What? Yeah, (laughs) we use them because they're, you know, tried and true, and we know how to shield them from space radiation. This incredible machine is doing this cutting-edge science with a processor a thousand times less powerful than your phone. (laughs) And with that, back to you, Tiff. Yeah, as I said, tried tried and true technology there at work all the way off on Mars. And the other exciting space news this week is the launch of a competition for civilians to go to space on a SpaceX Crew Dragon rocket. Yeah, that's amazing as well. Uh, 
the new space age is really here, which is incredible. Now it's time for Life Form of the Week, where we celebrate an organism we're feeling the love for. And that was whale song, so I'm going to make a wild guess here and <laughs> say that this week's animal is a whale? <laughs> it, it is, um, and actually I've cheated a bit. It isn't just one animal, it's actually all cetaceans. Uh, and, you know, there's lots to celebrate about these animals, but the thing in the news this week is uh, about something called Petto's Paradox. So this is the finding that cetaceans have much lower rates of cancer than most other mammals, including us, including humans. But the paradox is that they are really long-lived. Some live up to 200 years, and they're really big animals. So you'd expect them to get cancer eventually, but they don't. Yeah, they're really big. And that means, you know, obviously their bodies contain far more cells than a human body. And so you should have a correspondingly greater risk of one of those cells going cancerous. So do we have a solution to Petto's paradox? We're homing in on it. There is an obvious solution. That they have a way of protecting themselves against cancer or treating themselves if they get it? Yeah. And by looking at over a thousand genes involved in cancer suppression, uh, researchers have found that cetaceans gained and lost in these genes at a much higher rate than other mammals. So that means there is more evolution going on with cancer genes in cetaceans than in other mammals? Yeah, and that's the, that's the implication. And that doesn't mean we're going to be taking whale genes and putting them into humans and making humans cancer resistant, um, or at least not for many, many years. But you could, it, it does mean you could start to think about drugs that mimic what these uh, whale genes do and give those drugs to humans. So Kat, you've been working on a piece in the magazine this week about diets and metabolism and exercise. Yeah, this is a story by evolutionary biologist Herman Ponser, and he's done 20 years of research into exercise and metabolism. And it's really fascinating. He's overturning a lot about what we assume um, to be true about, you know, the, the way we exercise and the way we eat. Some of the things that I assume, or I think many of us assume, are that exercise and a good diet are basically essential for weight loss and that probably the more active you are, the faster your your natural metabolism will be. Yeah, so he's found that diet and exercise are obviously really important for our health, but they don't work in the ways that we usually think. Um, so he spent loads of time out in Tanzania working with a hunter-gatherer community called the Hadza. And they have a very similar lifestyle to what our ancestors would have had. And so he's kind of been studying them and trying to see what happens to their metabolism as a proxy for what, what should be happening with ours. And his team has made loads of really interesting discoveries that overturn um, this kind of idea that our bodies are a calorie burning engine that we can program to do what we want. So if we want to burn more, we just exercise more, you know. Is it those types of things that undermine um, how well diets work for us that, you know, the diets promoted in different health magazines are, are basically doomed to fail? So what he's saying is that it's not so much that all diets are doomed to fail. And we go into that in the story, how, how to make a diet work for you. But the big reason that a lot of weight loss programs fail is that they're based on the idea that exercise can burn through all the excess calories that you might be getting from your diet and boost your metabolism. And that's one of the myths that he debunks in this story. Wow. So that's a myth. 
Yeah, that's what his team found from studying the Hadza. They do a huge amount of exercise, hunting and gathering all day. The men do something like 19,000 steps a day. And that's five times more than, you know, probably you or I do, especially now during the pandemic. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and they do these really precise measurements to look at, at the calories that they actually burn. Remarkably, even though they do all of this exercise, they burn the same amount of calories as somebody who just sits working at a desk all day. And so your body adapts somehow. And therefore, the idea that you can just boost your metabolism by being more active just isn't true. Wow. So another common and very persuasive idea is that exercise sort of helps you or makes you lose weight. So is that also a myth? Yep, sadly. So, um, you know, even when people manage to burn extra calories by doing more exercise, we just make up for it by eating more, even when we try not to. And uh, there's this big study looking at, um, you know, people put on this exercise regime where they were burning 2000 extra calories a week. And the women just didn't lose any weight after 16 weeks. So, you know, nothing. Um, uh, and overall, the most you can expect to lose over a year from just from doing you know, more exercise is a kind of pathetic two kilograms. So what does all this mean with regard to the obesity epidemic? Does this um, so shed light on how we got here? It does. I think it's a bit of a wake up call because, you know, if we're thinking about metabolism all wrong, it's not surprising we've ended up in a bit of a mess. And And there are obviously other factors. So genes seem to play a really big role in whether we have a tendency to overeat. And that genetic side of the equation is something that we discuss in this feature. And processed food also seems to really be playing a big part. Thanks, Kat. We'll post a link to that in the notes. Uh, and Kat, before we go, you've been also working on a, a long COVID story. Tell us a bit about that quickly. We've spoken before about long COVID in adults. This is where people have symptoms um, from COVID-19 way after they've effectively cleared the infection. And now it looks like this can happen in children as well. So. Until now, we've really thought of children as being somewhat protected from getting sick from from COVID-19. But it looks like in a lot of cases, children can get ill and the the symptoms can last for a really long time. And and some MPs are calling the lack of attention to this a national scandal. Well, okay, so that's in the mag this week as well. That's all for this week. Thanks, Kat, and thanks to all of you for listening. And do listen to our sister show, Escape Pod. This week, it's all about warmth. And remember, your discount subscription to New Scientist, 20% off for subscription. Go to newscientist.com slash pod20 to subscribe. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. 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 This podcast is produced by Ollie Guillou Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. 
much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.